Welcome to the NCLA podcast. I am your host, Rachel Mann, and I'm honored to be joined by Dr. Edward Boquillen today. Dr. Boquillen is the superintendent director at Minuteman Regional Vocational Technical School District in Lexington, Massachusetts. Thanks so much for joining us today, and thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Glad to be here, Rachel. Thank you. And and I want to start off by hearing just a little bit about your CTE leadership journey, how you got involved in CTE, and what led to your current position. Hmm. Well, I started out in uh, New England as an agriculture teacher. I taught animal science and farm production and management for a couple of years after uh, completing a program at the University of Connecticut. Um, I taught in New York State for a few years, and then I started my own business. I was a dairy nutritionist, an independent dairy nutritionist in uh, New England and New York for several years. Um, Then I realized I needed to make money to support my growing family. (laughs) So I got out of the business myself and went back to teaching and absolutely fell in love with it in Massachusetts at an agricultural high school. And I taught at Smith Vocational Agricultural and Technical High School for uh, in animal science. And one of my uh, mentors there came up to me one day. I'd only been there a few months. And he said, you know, you could be an administrator. And I said, why would I want to do that? He goes, no, no, I really think you should. And within three months, I had my first administrative job at another vocational technical high school. And I was the vocational coordinator, and that was all the way back in 1982. Um, from there, I uh, uh, I went back to uh, get my master's degree in animal science, and I wanted a technical degree. I didn't want an education degree. Taught for a few more years, was an administrator for a few more years, and went back to Penn State University um, after 11 years as a director of a vocational center was at Penn State for uh, three years. And then I went and worked for Compact Computers, believe it or not. I was a uh, human performance consultant. And uh, when HP bought Compaq, about 5,000 of us were laid off on a Friday. And on a Monday, I started as the director of the Wyndham Regional Career Center in Vermont. And uh, I was there as the administrator of a building project. We built a new high school, a new middle school, and a new career center. And then I realized that I couldn't really retire from Vermont. I had to go back to Massachusetts. And for 14 years, I've been the superintendent in uh, at Minuteman here in Lexington. And it's been uh, quite a ride, especially the last few months. Oh, well, you know, and that's so that's fantastic to be able to combine the business and industry perspective, plus all of these other CTE leadership experiences. But it also shows the importance of that shoulder tap, that someone saw something in you that at the time you were fine with teaching, but they saw that leadership potential and inspired you. I'm so glad you mentioned that because there are so many mentors I've had um, over the years that have... um, encouraged me to the path that I've taken, but it's also given me a real uh, passion for growing leadership in others. Um, Whether they stay here wherever I am or they go off and become a director or superintendent. And I've someone, I I was talking with an old friend the other day, and there's been about 10 different superintendent or directors that have come through 
uh, Minuteman or some of the other schools that I worked at. So uh, I, I feel like I'm a good nest um, to help people get to where they want to be as a CTE leader. And right now, CTE leadership, um, it's a concern of mine going forward as we uh, look at who's moving into CTE leadership positions and and how important a mixed background is, you know, a mixed being of business and industry and education. And those folks are, uh, they're, they're hard to find nowadays. Absolutely. And, you know, and it's, that's uh, something that, that I've heard before is that sometimes we uh, look at a teacher and we think, oh, they're an excellent teacher. We put them in a leadership position and it's a different skill set. So like you said, I think that having that mix is just so important in, the, in, in growing the people moving forward. Absolutely. In, in an interview with Ed Week that you were featured in that was published back in May, you stated that we're planning for the worst, believing that we're still going to be socially distancing, believing there's going to be some integration of on-site school learning with e-learning, assuming there's going to be no sports, no work-based learning. Now that was back in May. Is that still the reality in your area or what's happening with your plans moving forward? You know, I read that. I'm a pretty good profit there. Um, uh, I wish I could do that with stocks or something. I'd say most of that is true. This is still the reality. There is work-based learning. Um, When our seniors, uh, you know, I'm up here in Massachusetts and New England, pretty much everything shut down in in March. and our seniors who were on uh, in work-based learning, we call it work co-op sometimes, most of those jobs continued um, as long as the job was safe and the parents were um, comfortable with it. Those work-based learning opportunities continued for seniors. Um, other students who were ready to go out on work-based learning were unable to. But as we are, you know, a month away from starting school up here in Massachusetts, um, we are planning on a hybrid model of in-person learning at school and remote learning. Um, Sports was canceled in the spring, although it hasn't been canceled in the fall. I expect it will be as we see, you know, the Big Ten and all the other college football conferences, you know, ending football for the year or suspending it for the year. It's going to happen here. So it is still a reality here. I expect, to be honest with you, I expect it to continue for quite a while. Um, I think in-person learning over the next year is going to be very difficult given um, given the, the virus. Um, Massachusetts is in the bottom and we're in the best in terms of the infection rates. We're uh, less than 2% infection rate. But even still, with that low of a number, um, we're not anticipating be, be, being able to do what we were built to do uh, in the way uh, that we're proud we do it. And that's, you know, high school, full-time, every day, full academics, full vocational technical programming, as well as art and music and language in my vocational school. Oh, wow. And that's everyone across the country. It's a, it's such a struggle and it's interesting to see the different models that, that people are putting together. And in a previous conversation, you had mentioned that, that students will 
be coming in at a reduced capacity. Do you want to share a little bit more about that? Yeah. As a matter of fact, it was just on August 12th, my school committee approved our hybrid learning model. Uh, We were required and are required to submit to the Department of Education, the State Department of Education, three models. And we had to do an analysis of each of the three models. One was full in-person learning, um, full remote learning, and then a hybrid of both in-person learning and remote. So our um, hybrid model has evolved over the summer. And in basically what we're going to do is only have one grade of students in the building five and a half hours a day, five days a week in full-time CTE programming. The other three grades would be doing all their academics, such as English and math, and electives, as I mentioned, art and music, will be all done remotely. Um, so we're able to use the new, we're in a new building too, I should have mentioned that. We, um, a new $145 million vocational technical high school we moved into 11 months ago. And we were able to be in the building for until March. So we haven't even gone a full year in our new building, which was designed around CTE delivery. It was designed around an academy model that each academy has two or three pathways in it. Um, So the building that we have is state of the art, which is a real blessing when you look at um, other educators having to go into buildings that are uh, older. Our building has state-of-the-art HVAC, air conditioning throughout it, um, and we're able to isolate kids in cohorts much more easily around their vocational training program areas. Um, But we're going to be starting that model in four weeks. Um, It was an in-depth and very complex process, but we feel like we're in a good place. Um, As I mentioned before, the positivity rates, the infection rates, Um, and symptoms we're going to be using as the three metrics um, whether or not to go to a full remote model or continue in our hybrid model. And I don't expect we're going to go to a full in-person model until there's a vaccine or a treatment that families and educators feel comfortable with. Um, That being said, we've implemented a number of safety measures that everyone hears about every day. You know, masks are required by teachers and students. We're going to have mask breaks uh, during the day. Um, we're, you know, we've got hallways marked out about how people are going to move. We've moved all the desks and, in some cases, equipment further apart to comply with the the six foot rule. But we're hearing from our health professionals here in Massachusetts that you can be three to six feet if both people or have a mask on. So that helped a number of schools in their feasibility study in terms of how many kids could we have back in school. That three-foot distance helped put some schools back into a uh, full in-person model in our our state. Um, We've added another nurse. Um, We've added another health office. So students who are uh, exhibiting potential COVID symptoms can be isolated and uh, further assessed by our nursing staff, and they would be um, going home at that point. Um, So 
we're doing 10 days of professional development before our kids come back on September 16th. We did a few days in, in, the, in the spring before we left, but uh, we're giving all of our staff a much more in-depth uh, training and practice with our remote learning software, with some of the systems we have in place. But now everybody must be uh, up to speed on all of those, including our kids. We're fortunate enough here to have had a one-to-one -one device program. That is a program where when a student enrolls at Minuteman, they're given their own laptop and training and software that relates to their program area. So every student will have a pretty robust computer to work with. We've also worked with families so that we now know that every family has internet access at home. Um, and we've also done some training with parents um, to help them help their child learn. Um, it's not a replacement for CTE, but in our school, we teach the full academics as well as CTE. Um, a lot of challenges, but I feel confident we're going forward in the right way, given our mission as a vocational technical school and given the need to keep everybody safe. I have to say, I'm, I am so impressed. This sounds like one of the most uh, well thought out plans that I've heard so far. I was talking to a teacher this, this morning who is based here in Phoenix, and she shared that they're going back to in-person learning next week. Right now they're virtually, or it's virtual learning, but that one of the pieces of information that they received yesterday was that they would not be required to wear masks, nor the student, nor would the students be required to wear masks for the first 10 minutes of class based on their interpretation of CDC guidelines. And it was just that moment of realizing that, you know, we have to have healthcare professional uh, professionals, their input on this and make sure that people are understanding the guidelines correctly, which it sounds like you're doing even with increasing the number of, of medical professionals and having an additional nurse on staff. Yes, we have, um, we hired another RN in addition to our school nurse, and then we've contracted with a nursing service. So that in case one of our nurses um, is unable to come in because of um, illness or their child school is in a remote learning uh, school district, we'll still have coverage. We also have a school physician in Massachusetts. Every school district is required to have one. And we consulted with him about a, our, uh, the metrics that we're going to use and, and uh, got his feedback on that as well. But, you know, that's another um, – There, it's unfortunate, I guess is a mild word to use, that we don't have, you know, national standards around some of these very important guidelines and safety protocols. Um, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm really proud of the work our governor has done and our commissioner of education and really, frankly, my, my colleagues in – my other superintendents in traditional schools and CTE schools and what we call educational collaboratives that provide a lot of special education, we've really made a concerted effort to work together. So much so, one of the, the issues that has come up since we surveyed our staff 
is what I mentioned briefly. You know, we have staff that have young children that are in other school districts. And those other school districts are approaching the hybrid model or the full remote model differently. So it was the number one concern of my staff was childcare. If my uh, uh, English teacher is teaching in a, living in a district and their kids go to a school that's fully remote, how is that teacher going to come to Minuteman and teach while their children are home learning remotely from their school? Um, so we've been looking at a number of different models to try to address that. One, um, I guess there's three models. One is we're trying to get, we, I say all of our superintendents are trying to agree that if we have any teachers that live in our town, but teach out of town, we will try to accommodate the children of those teachers in their home school in an in-person model. Be a pretty small cohort of, kid, cohort of kids, but, um, and that's working, uh, seeming to be possible in a couple of different communities. The other model we've, we're looking at here at Minuteman is um, if you're in a school district that's remote, bring your middle schooler or your elementary school child here to Minuteman. We'll have a classroom available for them with a licensed elementary school teacher in it who will be a facilitator while your children are doing their remote lessons here at Minuteman. Um, I don't know if we're going to have to charge for that or not, but, um, you know, and then we have some schools where Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the children are in school in person, and then Tuesday and Thursday, they're home remote. So the whole, <laughs> it's just, it, it's a real difficult situation for families. And, uh, I, I pride our, our school community as feeling like a family. A lot of people describe it as such. So we're looking at how we can accommodate the children of our teachers here at school during this um, crazy time. <laughs> you know, I am so impressed with what you're doing. It sounds like you've had an extremely busy summer, th even thinking through all of these complexities and uh, plans to be able to accommodate everyone. Wow. Well, we don't. I don't do it alone. That's for sure. I can't do it alone, and I don't claim to do it alone. <laughs> I, uh, I've got some great people who um, can think out of the box or not afraid to do something innovative. Um, and over the years, I've learned how to listen better to them. <laughs> the, the innovation piece is so huge right now during this time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you, and in that article in Ed Week, you all, it also mentions that 25% of students have been able to continue their work studies and essential jobs. Mm -hmm. That's something that I've, I've heard from multiple people across the country that they're trying to wrap their heads around how to do this work-based learning piece. Do you have any tips for our directors and leaders as they're trying to approach the work-based learning piece? Um, well, our work-based learning program has always had as the number one component, providing a safe work environment for our kids in workplaces related to their occupational training area, whatever it might be. Um, our, our guidelines here 
um, we send administrators out to the worksite prior to a kid ever going out there. So we've so if you think about doing that and how you would do that, what happens? You develop relationships. You develop really strong relationship with employers over the years, and not you know not huge companies, but there are a lot of small employers. Um, so and we find that employers feel like they have support at the school. And so that we find that that gives employers more confidence in, first of all, taking our kids on because they know that we, we're the backstop. If they have an issue with a kid or they find that one of their students really doesn't have the competency level in a particular area, they can just give us a call. We'll go out. We'll actually bring this, the student back and say, okay, look, you got to practice measuring rafters because out on the job site last week, you know, um, your supervisor, Mr. Smith, said you cut four rafters wrong. You can't do that. What do we need to do with you back here? So we bring them back and then put them out again. We're really fortunate here to have a lot of, uh, well, there's a lot of businesses. You know, we're, uh, we're a half an hour outside of downtown Boston. We also have the benefit of alumni from Minuteman who now have businesses and our employers themselves. And they sit on our advisory committees. Every single program area has a, a, a program advisory committee. Um, they used to be known as craft committees, I think, years ago. Um, but it's the relationship, Rachel. It's really the relationship and the trust that the employer has in the school being able to follow through. And we don't let our kids go out until they pass a number of industry-recognized credentials in some cases. Uh, one basic core credential that every student gets here is the 10-hour uh, the OSHA safety training card. Um, also, in some areas, um, kids are getting additional certifications in first aid, uh, CPR, um, and other levels of OSHA training, whether it's confined spaces or um, you know, the use of harness and ladders. So um, selling your student in the right way to the employer and then being able to follow up and not over-promising, you know, under-promise and over-deliver. And employers really believe, um, start to believe in you, start to believe in your kids. Uh, we, we started a job board about three years ago, uh, and it's only for Minuteman students and alumni, but any employer can go on it. We now have over 1,400 employers signed on and registered into our job board looking for Minuteman graduates. Um, those those work-based learning experiences, especially in the trades, usually lead to a job. And our kids are uh, our welding kids have three jobs waiting for them when they graduate from Minuteman. Um, that work-based learning component is so important. No matter what model of CTE you're delivering, the work-based learning component, I believe, is, is really the heart and soul of high-quality CTE. And I know some places in the country can't access it like other places in the country can. But even if you're a director on your own in a small career center, um, you really need to spend some time getting to meet 
your employers, whether it's through a chamber of commerce uh, or through a rotary club or a lion's club. Um, those are the places you want to go and promote your school, promote your kids and start building those relationships because that's going to make the economic difference for your students. Oh, absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned the symbiotic relationship piece to where it's mutually beneficial for both the employers and the schools. And even the having alumni who are now coming back and serving on the committees and bringing in students, that shows the strength and the quality of the programs that that, that relationship's continuing and that they know the quality is there because they've experienced it. They, they were that student. Absolutely. What are you hearing from parents and students and your business and industry partners regarding this uh, this new reality that we're in right now? What are, what are the biggest concerns that folks are having moving forward? Well, in um, we just we surveyed our parents. Um, we received over ninety percent return rate on the survey, and we asked them very basic questions, and then we had you know opportunity for them to put comments in and write questions. Certainly the number one concern is safety and health. Um, and, and then I think in our school and schools like Minuteman, uh, the parents who's, who have kids who've been here a year or two, their concern is, you know, how are we going to continue to train the students? How are we going to continue to give them the Minuteman experience? Because, um, they're concerned that their student would, I guess, backslide in a number of different ways, socially and emotionally, as well as in terms of their competency, in terms of their motivation, uh, in terms of their ability to continue to see a future for themselves. I think that's what I'm concerned about when we don't have kids in here the way we used to. And if that goes on more than a who knows what, we will have we will have lost for a generation of kids, for at least a generation of high school kids, we will have lost the ability for them to articulate their purpose. They will be unable to say with confidence, this is what I love to do. This is what I do well. This is what I want to do when I leave Minuteman. You know, um, the experience here for families and kids, it's, it's, a, it's a family experience. I say that over and over again. But what are, we're giving kids something, and high-quality CTE programs across the country are giving kids something that traditional schools want to give, but they just can't. And that is relationship and connection. Connection to one another and to adults, but also a connection to what they see as their opportunities in life um, because they've got a chance to do it. They see the connection between the CTE curriculum and academics. They see the connection between what they're doing in CTE and the real world. They, they've got a much better sense about who they are. And I think when you sugar off all the other stuff that we're having to deal with, whether it's school buses or transportation or curriculum or computers or testing and tracing, it's that connection to each other that I think most parents are really concerned about. How are you going to maintain 
my kids' enthusiasm for school when they're staying home half the time. And that's one of the things that I love about the Career Academy's model is that so often kids kids can't see the connection. And it really does provide that that platform for them to really see everything connected. But also I think about the relationships that teachers in an academic core class have with their students. And they may have great relationships, but there's something about that hands-on learning piece where you're working side by side that really develops such a stronger relationship. And for many cases, they're in those programs for multiple years and are getting to stay with that teacher for multiple years, really learning the trade and building that relationship. So I think that that's uh, just a model that I would love to see more of across the country. Oh, and I think when certainly in, in our region of the country, um, some of the research that's been done around um, achievement or test results or however you want to measure or whatever you want to look at after kids leave high school. Um, students that come out of a high quality career in tech ed program are more successful. They earn more money over their lifetime earnings. Um, is it uh, Paul Harrington, who used to work here at the Northeastern Center for Labor Studies, is now at um, Drexel, I believe, in Philadelphia. And he does a lot of research on the uh, sort of the significant distinctive differences that individuals experience in their economy, in their work life, depending on where they went to high school. And, and the data is clear that kids from CTE programs um, and you can, there's a very broad defini definition of CTE programs. Those people make more money. One study he, he did, it was if you had two years of um, directed and focused CTE studies, I may have it off a little bit, but if you had two years of that CTE studies in high school, um, six years after high school, you were making a little bit more than someone who had come out of a college with a bachelor's degree. Um, and that's the message that parents are starting to hear when it comes to CTE. Um, the perceptions are changing. Um, CTE in our state has become uh, sort of the preferential model. We have waiting lists to get into our vocational technical high schools. We cannot accommodate all the students that want high quality CTE here. And why? Because I think, number one, parents are starting to question the value add of going to college without understanding what your purpose is, without being able to answer the two basic questions we help families and kids answer here. And once you answer these two questions, like the world opens up, things start to make sense to you. Would you like to know what those two questions are? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I said them before. One, what do I love to do? In other words, so we give kids through an exploratory opportunity the chance to see, you know, what is carpentry like? What is engineering like? What's web and programming like? What's landscaping like? What's environmental technology like? What do they really do in engineering and robotics and automation? And they get to see things they've never seen before. And they get to do some hands-on uh, exploratory and they, they get to see, hey, I'm good at this. And you know what? I really love to do this. 
you answer those two questions and everything else kind of clicks into place. You understand how algebra in carpentry now has an application that I didn't get in just sitting in an algebra class without understanding its application. Families are seeing kids with purpose go to college, get done in four years and not six years, or go to a post-secondary two-year program, get done, come out, and move into a career instead of into their basement. Wow. You know, and I, I was talking to a, a young lady recently who she thought that she was bad at science, and then she enrolled in a cosmetology program. And it all made sense. You know, she started seeing the, you know, the mixing the chemicals, the just all these different components that go into it. And it really brought it together. And she realized, oh, this is science. I can do science. <laughs> and, that, and that's what CTE is about. That's what, it, that's what it does for our students. And you mentioned the purpose piece. So many students graduate high school and they don't have a purpose and they enroll in a college program, still not knowing that purpose. And then they end up doing multiple degrees trying to find that purpose. But programs like this provide that for them and give them that direction. Absolutely. Absolutely. And many of our NCLA members that are listening in, they're new to their role as CTE directors or in leadership positions that they're new to. So not only are they learning a new position, but they're also trying to figure out how to navigate hands-on learning during this global pandemic. What advice do you have for these new CTE leaders? Well, you know, the first piece of advice I would offer is remember what CTE stands for. It's career and technical education. Don't waver in your mission and your purpose as a school. It's founded upon thousands of years of educational tradition going back to apprenticeships. Um, It's founded upon the idea that hands-on learning um, is the way that a number of kids learn best. And there's all kinds of learning style research and all that, but let's just use hands-on kinesthetic learning is the way a lot of kids learn really well. They don't learn well in the traditional model, the, the didactic model where you're sitting there just listening. Remember that that's a high purpose. That is a very high purpose. And you have to do what you need to do to maximize the amount of hands-on learning in a safe environment you can get in front of kids. Because for some kids, for a lot of kids, that may be the only way that they learn. That may be the only way of a path towards individual economic opportunity. It's a really high calling and and a privilege to be a CTE leader. Um, And you should be proud of the position you're in. I would also say that navigating this the storm that we're in right now, you got to do it with others. Um, Whether they're other CTE directors that are in your state or in your region, um, other administrators in your district who are in the same position you are, um, that support network is absolutely crucial. And, you know, for some folks, I know NCLA is that support network. 
you know, ACTE is for a number of CTE directors and instructors too. Those professional organizations now more than ever are critical to our sanity and our ability to provide what we're here to provide. I, I really appreciate more, more than I ever have. I've been in the business a long time. Um, and the relationships and the support that I'm getting, you know, from my own staff, from other superintendents, but from my CTE colleagues, I, I don't know how I'd be doing it without them. Um, every Tuesday or every Thursday at two o'clock, between 15 and 30 of us who are in my same position, we get together and just debrief, you know, on Zoom, um, which is the new happy hour, I guess. Um, and it's so, you know, yeah, I got that problem. I've got that problem. We talk about it, uh, help people work through it and, and just give comfort in some cases because um, we're dealing with a lot in our roles. You know, we deal with unions, we deal with state departments, we deal with licensing boards, families, advisory boards, school committees. Uh, sometimes it can feel like you're the only one who's carrying that CTE banner forward. And in a storm like this, uh, there are people out there who will try to knock that banner out of your arms. But you got to pick it up and keep going forward and find the support from each other, from one another. Um, you know, call, call me anytime. Go on our website and click on the link and send me an email. It, it happens all the time. Um, it's just really important to, to stay together. But it's also important, I think, to look for small successes during this time. You might not be able to provide 50% or 5% of your kids with the opportunities you want. But if you can provide 5%, provide the best 5% you can. Um, look at different ways to do things. Um, you know, for instance, our culinary arts program, we have a restaurant. We're not going to be able to open it. It's a brand new restaurant with an unbelievable training kitchen. And we service a big meeting room area with over 180 people in it. We're not going to be able to do that. So what are we doing? Well, my culinary arts instructor has been out um, talking to folks and uh, she's going to be partnering with a local nonprofit food uh, organization that's trying to provide food for, for, for people who are at risk uh, of hunger. And we're going to be cooking and baking meals, uh, I think up to 150 meals a day and someone delivering them. So it, there are ways to do things differently that will give kids what we're meant to give them. Um, you know, if you haven't called that business um, and you might think that business could serve some of your kids or might be interested on your be on your advisory committee, give them a call and just ask them how they're doing. It might be a business that knows nothing about your CTE program, but yet that business as part of their taxes are paying for your CTE program. Um, some of those things that we maybe didn't have the time to do or the, or the courage to do perhaps, or didn't think it was important. I'm, I'm asking you to consider those things as important. Now that outreach to one another, that outreach to your community, especially the business and industry folks in your community do it. Um, because we're not going to get through this alone. 
Oh, wow. I, I have chills from the, uh, the piece about the culinary teacher and that partnership. I, as a former culinary teacher, oh. I, I've thought over and over again, what would I be doing right now? Because like your program, I had a, uh, industry kitchen that chefs would come in and envy this kitchen and say, you're not preparing them for reality. This is too nice. <laughs> but we would, but we would cater banquets up to 300 people. And that was so such a huge part of our work-based learning and what a fantastic way to pivot and not only provide the students with that work-based learning piece, but the meaning of knowing that they're feeding people that would be hungry otherwise. I mean, that's just, that's so powerful. Mm. Yeah. Well, and we, we've talked some already about the challenges that, or that we're facing right now, but are there any additional challenges that you anticipate for the 2020-21 school year? Mm. I don't know. I think it's going to be more of the same. I, I hope there's not new big challenges. This seems to be a big one. <laughs> yeah, it, this is um, it. This is huge. I don't think anyone in the in our well, in anyone <laughs> expected this to be what we were facing this year. I am. You know, one of the we have a night program here too, the Minuteman Technical Institute, and one of our challenges has been. Um, I re reaching out to the right people for the, for the right programming. I think one of the challenges we're going to see in CTE over the next, I would say three to eight months as the economy does begin to open up, there are going to be people, adults who are going to need retraining. Um, where I've been working with our local regional employment board, they call them workforce investment boards out of the Department of Labor, you know, just having conversations about this. And what's my role in the adult education world? You know, we have, I talk about this sometimes, I've talked about it a lot over the last couple of decades. You know, we have sort of three pillars of a stool. One of those pillars is what I call the Department of Labor, the Adult and Workforce Development System. And then there's another pillar called education and sometimes CTE secondary schools and even some post-secondary community colleges are kind of in that column or that stool uh, under education. And then the third stool is the, the third leg of the stool is the economic development partnerships. And I think for many years, the three of us, the three legs of that stool didn't know how to talk to each other. And in some I've been involved in some efforts to try to bridge those gaps to kind of, you know, break down the silos between those three sort of distinctive systems. They even have different language, which is hard to understand when you're sitting in a, you know, in a room full of uh, Department of Labor, uh, adult educators and managers of those programs and systems. Um, but I've continued to do that. And in our state, the, gov uh, the governor Actually, the previous governor, Deval Patrick, formed something called the Workforce Skills Cabinet, where the Secretary of Education, the Secretary of Labor, and the Secretary of Economic Development and Housing all meet together once a month to try to come up with creative, innovative programming and grant funding opportunities for the whole system so that it forces us to work together. And Governor Baker 
um, has really taken that workforce skills cabinet and implemented incredible programs that have resulted in millions and millions of dollars of new equipment coming into vocational technical schools. And that equipment is being used for secondary and post-secondary students. So I think our challenge going forward is to, is to really um, make some rapid progress on bridging the silos between economic development, workforce development, and what we consider traditional education. Um, and sometimes CTE gets left out of the, out of the, the, the full picture because in many cases, in some states, that CTE program is kind of kept in the education silo. And they don't get out to see the workforce education and development silo or the economic development silo. And really, all three must be able to work together in order to get the country back on its feet, get people employed in jobs they love and do well. And CTE must be a vital partner in that. I go all the way back 20 years, uh, you know, to the uh, School to Work Opportunities Act back in 93 or 4. The purpose of that was just what I'm talking about. And in the almost 30 years since then, we still have a long way to go to get those three silos to be able to talk to each other and really uh, put programs into place that are one needed and uh, cost effective and, and directly related to employing somebody. If you look at those three silos and you ask yourself, what's the one bumper sticker that could bring all three silos together? What's sort of a rallying cry for those three silos? And I would propose that that rallying cry is individual economic opportunity. If the individual has an economy that's supporting their family, that's going to be supporting the town or the community. And that community is going to support your state or your commonwealth. It's really important over the next few months that we learn how to talk to each other, you know, that some of the stuff that comes out of the federal government ought to be more intentional when it comes to getting those three silos to work together, because when they do, it's synergistic and it's, it impacts businesses, individuals and communities in a very positive way economically. Dr. McQuillan, I have been blown away hearing about all the awesomeness, if you will, and <laughs> this workforce skills cabinet that you're now throwing into the mix and breaking down the silos. And oh, wow, once we can travel again, I wouldn't be paying you a visit. Oh, please. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> this is so, so impressive. This is really just as such a model for, uh, for folks to tap into. I'm sure there's a lot more that's happening too that you haven't that you haven't shared yet. But what 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 do you envision for the future of education and for CTE? Hmm. I kind of laid it out there. I, my vision of the future is that we have, um, you know, during the day, after school, and evening, CTE available. And what is available is connected to the labor market. But it also, in some areas, we have to take some risk. We have to we have to try to envision, you know, your question was envision the future. I'm trying to envision every day, what programming do I need a year or two or three years from now? What businesses are reshaping our economy as we speak? And how can I be a, 
a contributor to that economy? How can I be preparing young people, young adults, older adults in some cases, for where those you know, career ladder jobs are? Um, that takes a lot of effort. And I believe if we're able to speak to one another in a common language and we have leadership that puts us together, gives us a common problem and gives us not all the resources, maybe not even any of the resources, but gives us the opportunity to, uh, to meet a challenge together. Um, just briefly, I, when I move, first moved to this area, we have a large biotech industry around here. Um, and I was at a chamber of commerce meeting and there was a new, uh, I was sitting at the table with a, a new vice president of a big biotech company. He was the vice president of some fancy title. I don't know, but he was a real, real guy. And we were eating lunch and he asked me what I do. And he said, well, I run a vocational technical school over here. He goes, really? And we had a biotechnology program in our high school. It was one of the first ones in the country. It's about 35 years old. It's a, it's one of our shining stars. And he says, well, I want to come over and visit. I said, come on over. So we came over, we visited, talked. And he says, you know, I need people trained in biomanufacturing, which was sort of a lab oriented, just what it sounds like, a biomanufacturing area, not a big high tech research person. He goes, I just need people who can run a lab safely, understand the mathematics. And I said, well, let's put a training program together. He goes, would you do that? I go, absolutely. So we, we had no state funding. We had no, we just sat together, found a common need. Uh, the company provided the equipment. They provided the curriculum. They provided us advice on how to teach it. They helped us get students into it. I provided the teacher and the shop and the lab, you know, and all the, the kind of brick and mortar resources. In over three years, we trained almost 80 people. And the last I checked, um, 72 of them were still employed in the jobs that they had almost six years later. Wow. But it's just that relationship. And and then I, I guess we got one or two years we did get funded by the state. <laughs> but that wasn't exactly fun because we had to go through all this uh, paperwork. I was just more interested in getting people in, getting them trained and getting them a job. And it was only a four-month program. And they got an industry-recognized credential called GMP, Good Manufacturing Process. And we had students in that program at night that ranged from 20 years old to 52 years old. It was, wow. it was the way it's supposed to work. It, it really, truly is. And I, I would love to see more, more of that happening within a CTE. It, it just makes sense, really meeting the workforce needs and it providing a career paths and direction for the students while also meeting the needs of business and industry. All right. And I want to wrap up our conversation with hearing from you about your biggest lesson or aha or takeaway from the last few months of navigating this global pandemic. Well, I think um, I get, I get emotional about this because I think about my seniors, uh, 2020, you know, they were ripped out of school. They didn't know senior prom, no, um, no sports, um, no skills, USA contests. Uh, 
And in my, we decided we were going to give them graduation, though. We did it on June 5th, which when it was regularly scheduled. Um, I can send you a link to a like a two-minute video we did of that day. And in preparing yeah. for the, my graduation speech, I, I had to think about that. You know, what is my biggest takeaway? What is theirs? And, um, you know, they've, they have lost so much. And in many cases, many people listening to this have lost much. They may have lost their job. They may have lost a family member. You know, but every time we lose something, we gain something. And I think what we've gained in this period of time is an appreciation for relationship and connection that only a crisis like this can bring. And when I think of um, the other challenges the country's going through in terms of reckoning with some of the very racist systems that are perpetuated because we don't stand up and call them out and call for change, what does it take to really do that? It takes what we've learned, that relationship and connection are more important. And how we do that is, is very simple, but it's not easy. We choose. We choose to do it. We choose love over fear. We choose every day to be engaged in this world, to look at it honestly, and give our best. And I think that's what I've seen in my teachers, in my kids, in my families, in my employers, is that people are choosing to stand up and go through this together as best we can right now. And that's my biggest takeaway, is that we need to choose every day love over fear, and we'll get through it. Wow. I have goosebumps again. It's a, <laughs> that's a, it's so powerful. And like you said, it's simple, but sometimes not easy. And I think that when we're, we are able to meet in person again, mm-hmm. we're truly, we're going to value that those, those conferences, those in-person events, the things that, that we've missed out on for a few months that we've taken for granted for so long. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dr. Bequillen, and thanks to our NCLA members. Your support enables content like this. If you have not joined NCLA as your professional organization, I encourage you to do so. And also, if you'd like to be a guest on a future podcast, please email me at info at ncla-cte.org. Or if you have topics that you would like for us to address, please reach out and share your thoughts and ideas. And also be sure to click on this episode and see the the link to the article, to the Newsweek article and more information about Dr. Bequillen in the narrative that goes along with this podcast. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Rachel. It's been an honor to be with you.